Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I am joined by Chrisanne Christ. Chrisanne currently serves as a senior partner at Centier Bank, a 125-year-old private family-owned bank headquartered in Merrillville, Indiana. She has worked at Centier for the past 24 years, overseeing HR, talent development, risk, audit, financial intelligence, and information security. Chrisanne's position allows her to work closely with Centier's CEO and senior management team to help shape the bank's strategic future. Centier has over 900 associates and 60-plus branches within the state of Indiana, but with clients across the United States. Chrisanne also serves in leadership positions within many local nonprofit organizations and has a passion for sharing her knowledge and experience to build strong cultures in our communities. When you think of innovation and leadership, you don't necessarily think of a family-owned community bank headquartered in the state of Indiana, but I I think you're going to be impressed with what Chrisanne has to say today. Not only is she uh, an amazing person and an amazing leader, but the company is now uh, multiple generations deep into being a family-owned business, and they continue to grow, continue to innovate, add new product lines, get involved in new segments of the community, and it's really impressive what they've been able to do. I, I think you'll really be able to get a lot from what Chrisanne has to say about the company, about the leadership, but I also think you can get a lot just from Chrisanne herself and, and her attitude and how she approaches her job and, and thinks about the work that she's doing. So I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, here is Chrisanne Christ. In three, two, one, and we are live. Chrisanne, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So I wanted to start out. Um, I know you have you know a story about how you got into HR and do what you do. And I would just love to hear that and have you share that, kind of just to set the frame of how you got into doing what you do and, and how you think about it. Yeah, it was definitely not my plan. Um, I didn't even know what HR was when I was in college. I was working at a hotel um, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I was going into hotel management. Um, As a child, our family had some financial problems due to um, a disability my dad had, and we didn't get to go on vacations. And so I thought, wow, how cool would it be to like oversee a hotel and, um, you know, see people on vacation all the time and be part of that experience. And so I was going into the hotel business. And um, so that's what my education was moving toward. Um, And so when I was working at this hotel every weekend, 
I started working with their HR director. He, they had a lot of turnover and he said, hey, Chrisanne, you know, we'd like some help. Um, HR is typically a small department in most businesses. And so he was looking for extra help, knew I was a college student and said, can you help me with this turnover project? So I started working with him and I thought, wow, like wh what else do you do? Like what is this human resources thing? So he told me, and it's just like the, the light bulb, you know, that, that, that vision happens where you think, I think that's what I'm meant to be. <laughs> I'm meant to be an HR person. And What so, was it about that that set that light bulb off? Um, I think helping others. Um, because of, of my story being um, really, I, I look back now, years later, right? Yeah, that's what we all hope to do someday. And my whole childhood, like my experience was always helping others, like bringing peace, um, talking through problems, trying to calm people down because of family issues that we had. So like I was being trained as an HR person as a, as a toddler and I didn't know it. And so when he that's started, a, that's a good visual. <laughs> When he was talking about, you know, what HR does, and a lot of it is problem solving, it's being an advocate for others, it's um, creating a work environment where people like to come and be there and stay there, and, you know, it's a home away from home, all those things, I thought, yeah, I, I would love to do all of that. And it's more of a Monday through Friday job. So I thought <laughs> now it's like, seems like, you know, it's a seven day a week gig, but um, until you hit a pandemic and then <laughs> yes. national or global racial tension and right. all the other, whatever alien invasion that's going to come in next. In yes. 2020. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so anyway, I definitely just saw so many attributes about the field that attracted me and thought, that's that's what I love to do. I just never knew there was a, a career or a position like that. So I finished my degree um, because I was already close to the end of college and um, I quit. He, he tried getting me to stay there and I said, no, like this is the time for me to try getting into HR. And he, he said, Chrisanne, you don't have a degree. You don't have the experience. You're not going to find anything. HR is really tough to get into. And I said, but I've got to try, like, I've just got to try. So I found a company that took a chance on me, you know, again, another fate thing, someone was going to be moving out of the area in a few months. And I was the only person that applied because they weren't looking yet. <laughs> I just applied. Um, back then it was, you know, sending your resume in, in, in a snail mail mode. And um, I was in the right place at the right time. Um, had zero competition. They liked me, brought me on. I trained under this person that was going to be moving and um, started at the bottom, you know, and just grew my way up. And then um, he, I did a lot of traveling at that time, knew I wanted to settle down and have a family and traveling was going to be tough. Um, happened to walk into Centier Bank. We were clients, my husband and I, and they said, you know, Chrisanne, you're in HR, right? We, we actually have an HR job open here. And I said, really? Well, 
at Centier, you know, one thing about us is everyone seems like they love working here. Um, you know, it, it's, it, you really feel that when you walk in, like they're so happy and they really seem to enjoy what they're doing. And I had that experience as a client. And so when I came in and they said they had this job, I thought, gosh, this would be a dream <laughs> for an HR person to work someplace where people actually seem to love to work. And so I applied and, and I've been here, um, it'll be 25 years in November. And I never thought I would stay with the company this long. You know, my parents worked in the steel mills. Um, they retired there. You know, they, they started at 18, 19 and they, you know, you work your whole life there. And I thought that's crazy. Like I will never do that. That sounds boring to stay in one place. And here I am <laughs> most of my career in one place. And I think when you find a, a job, a, you know, a company that's a really good ma match for you where it provides you growth opportunities and variety, why, why leave? Um, and I've just been happy here. I'm totally happy. So glad it worked out. Yeah. I mean, if you find a place that keeps challenging you and offering you new opportunities and you can keep growing and do work that charges you up, then why would you leave? Right. When you're part of a family, you know, your, your coworkers aren't just coworkers, like their family, seeing yourself leaving them would be like moving away from your family. Like, why would you want to do it? Yes, you can stay in touch, but it's so fun to be around those that you're, um, you know, you're, you're enjoying working with. And so why would you ever want that to end? Yeah. No, that's great. What, what is it about you that makes people give you jobs? You, so in that story, there were, it sounded like a couple different times where you just walked in somewhere and they said, Hey, come help us with this thing. Is it, is it just you saying yes to things that present themselves or was there something about the way that you interact with people or, or what is it that creates those opportunities? Do you think? I've never really thought about it. <laughs> Um, I think definitely I, I, I'm always willing to do anything. I've, I've never been in a job that I didn't like. Um, you know, when I started off at McDonald's and, you know, worked the register, worked drive through, I, I loved it. I had a blast. I go through McDonald's drive through now and I smell that air and it just takes me right back to that fun part of my, my first job. Um, so I've never not liked any of the jobs I've had. There's been aspects that I, I would love to carve out, but, um, you know, I, I think partly because I, I love everything. I love what I do. I accept challenges and, you know, not that every day is wonderful, but I pick myself back up and I start fresh the next day. So I think it's partly attitude, maybe um, being willing to do anything. Um, I've never been one to be confined to a job description, you know, like I've always offered more. Let, let me help with more, um, you know, in my position now, I uh, during the pandemic, I'm filling coffee machines. I'm, you know, throwing garbage out. I'm cleaning coffee pots at the end of the day. Like, you know, we all have to do what we have to do. We have less people here to do some things. And so I've never been one to say that's not my job or that's someone else's job. Like I've been the type of person, let me, let me come stand next to you and let me help you. Let me do it with you. Um, so I think that's partly it. And, um, you know, I've always raised my kids too with the belief that um, we're all, we are all in it together. Like, 
no one is any better than anyone else. Like we, we should stand beside people and lift them up and um, be there with them, you know, whether something's your job responsibility or not. So I'm trying to instill that same thing into my children. Was that something that was instilled in you or was that, is that something that you just come about naturally? Like how, how do you, how did you acquire that worldview? Um, I think my parents, so I mentioned earlier, you know, we, I, I had kind of a tough childhood. I had an alcoholic father. Um, he was on disability. <clears throat> he also gambled and, uh, you know, drank and smoked. So the, the little money we had went probably in some of the wrong places. And so as a child, you know, being around that, <clears throat> excuse me, wanting to have compassion for my father, because I love my father. My father was an incredible man. And I, I am a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways who I am because of him. And then my mom and the sacrifices she made being the, the main breadwinner during some tough times, you know, that helped shape who I was, you know, um, as a child, again, being kind of an adult position in some cases to help support my father and what he was going through, um, help support my mom and what she was going through, um, you know, as a child, seeing her struggling, trying to keep it together, being, you know, um, both parents and in some ways to um, three children and, you know, working a lot of hours just to, to pay the bills. Yet, my family never stopped supporting neighbors. Um, I remember my dad giving money away to someone walking down the street that needed money. You know, we lived, I lived in East Chicago and, um, you know, a lot of people were unemployed and it was just a, a different environment, but you would see people walking the streets, you know, looking for handouts in some cases. And my dad never um, not gave them whatever money was in his wallet, even though we didn't have it. And so that caused arguments for my parents sometimes, right? Um, sure, and yeah. then as a child, you know, you try to keep the peace and step in and show both parents love. So, you know, you learn how to show compassion. I, I think you learn a lot growing up more so than you ever realize until maybe later in your adulthood. But, um, you know, I cut grass. I, do th I did things that maybe my dad would have done just to help support the family during those times of, of need. And um, I'm thankful for it. I, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I know, you know, this is generally a business podcast, but I just like what you were saying about your, your attitude and your outlook and the perspective that you bring to all your jobs and you never had a job you didn't like and you've been able to find things about each job and remember them as good periods of your life. And just so much of your mindset affects how you show up and how you present yourself and the opportunities that you get. And, and it really, I think a lot of it just comes down to mindset. And I, I try to remind myself that when I'm not feeling at my best. Um, and so I'm, I'm always curious to dive in and figure out how people got there and, and how they keep that mindset up. Yeah, I I wish I could tell you there's a formula. I, those those are just some things that um, I look back now as an adult and think they might have had you know big shaping parts of my my childhood, my story. Yeah, well, and I think hardship does shape people. You know, uh, I've heard the saying, and I might butcher this, but it's tough times make good people, make easy times make bad people or maybe not bad people, but 
mm-hmm. not strong people. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there is a certain amount of suffering that you kind of have to go through to be forged into some of those positive characteristics, uh, mm-hmm. the, the reliance, the outlook, that kind of a thing. So absolutely. thank you for going down that uh, sure. rabbit hole with me. Getting back to the business side, um, you mentioned your tenure at Centir. You mentioned it's a bank. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about the culture that seems like everybody loves working there. Would you just tell us in your own words a little bit about the company? Sure. Um, this year uh, is our 125th anniversary. So we've been around uh, a long time. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Not the celebration we wanted to have, but uh life happens and we're just going to delay it a little. But we started off in in Whiting, Indiana as one branch. Um, We have four generations that have run the bank, but um, back in the day, we um, didn't really have plans for a bank. Um, Our our founder was um, a general store owner, um, a postmaster general. There was one little post office in town. And um, at that time, Standard Oil was buying up land in Whiting, Indiana for a refinery. And um, the community just boomed, you know, from like 16 families to thousands of people. And so there was a need for a bank. And so our founder opened a bank. And, uh, you know, out of the needs of the community and people trusted him and and he knew about um, money management, you know, um, being a, a general store owner and and the rest is history. You know, it's it's uh, it's grown um, instrumentally since then. But our, our current president, um, again, fourth generation of his family was really the entrepreneur. So prior to Mike, our, our current CEO, the bank grew very slowly. And I think Mike came in in the 1970s and he's the one that said, we need to branch, you know, that's what banks do. They have branches. And so I think we might've only had two or three branches prior to him. And now we have over 60 um, throughout the state of Indiana. So Mike was definitely the entrepreneur that, that grew us. But Going back to your original question, you know, we started as that community bank out of the need of a community, and we really haven't changed at all in that um, mission, you know, of serving our communities. And there are companies and banks out there that, you know, espouse to be a, a community bank, but it's more of a marketing um, type of a statement. Like, we live and breathe it. We don't just say we're a community bank. We show we're a community bank. You know, we we hire people from the community that are community-minded folks. Like, we, we won't hire somebody that's not involved. Um, if they're a branch manager or a, a leader in the bank, they need to come from the community. They need to be passionate about giving back and being involved in leadership roles. Then we put them in a leadership position, and we let them continue to do their outreach and to bring things to us of of what the community needs that we can serve. Um, You know, how are we doing? How are we viewed in the community? And um, so that's been our mindset 
back since 1895 of, you know, what does the community need and, and how can we be there as um, a neighbor and a partner to local businesses and in the citizens of the community. And, and certainly it has changed, right, in 125 years. And we've had to, we've had to adapt to all those changes. You mentioned the people being engaged in the community and, and that to me sort of signals a, a feedback loop. What does that look like? Like what type of feedback are you getting and how are you acting on that to grow the business, you know, make more top line revenue and also do well for the community? Like what, what's that cycle? Yeah. So with our leaders being out in the community, they they come from different walks of life, right? They might have um, been a business owner or they might have worked for another bank or they may not have worked for a bank at all. We might have hired them in, um, like we hired a person in into one of our branches who was a controller for an auto dealership um, almost his entire career. And we were looking for a branch manager and I, I actually turned him down for an interview at first because I thought, yeah, controllers in an auto dealership, branch manager, you know, retail sales, like I don't think so. I don't think it's going to work um, on paper. And then someone encouraged me that knew him uh, to still interview him. And he was so personable, like within two minutes, I knew we had found our, our person. So he brought his background, his, his world of auto dealerships and living within that community to the branch and what we needed to do from an outreach standpoint, from an involvement standpoint, um, what clients are out there that have needs that he thought we would be a good match for. Um, like there was a school system that he had said, you definitely want to um, connect with the school system because they are looking for a business like yours. I've heard them complain about, you know, lots of fees and, you know, not being able to get someone on the, the phone when they needed them. And, you know, and Centier is the opposite, like we are so available. And so he was able to make business connections based on what he's hearing out there from his business relationships that um, were suffering that we could help fill. So, um, and it's also creating business plans. We, you know, we create business plans around our different markets because in Indiana, just like other states, we, um, all over, you have different needs. So what is needed down in Indianapolis versus Northwest Indiana could be completely different. And so those market leaders help shape the business planning of what's needed within their markets. So um, we don't have a one size fits all. And sometimes it could just be a community, um, what a community is needing. So we have some efforts in North Lake County, Indiana, Gary, Hammond, East Chicago, um, where individuals may not um, know a lot about banking. They, they may not trust banks. So our efforts in those counties, or I'm sorry, those communities within the county um, might be different because we want to help educate and build trust with um, the, our community members so that they're not afraid to bank. They're not afraid to put money into a savings account. They understand what all of those um, accounts are. And so we do a lot of outreach and community education. Um, we found in another market where um, employers were saying, we want to get our employees to save, but 
they they don't want to come into a bank they they work hard it was it's a manufacturing community and some of them just don't have time they work long days they don't have time to go into a bank so we started to bring we call it Centier to you we started doing presentations on lunch hours where we taught them about banking and were able to set accounts up for them if they wanted to. It wasn't a, a sales spiel. Um, it just kind of resulted in accounts for us, but it was more of an outreach of education so that whether they came to us or another bank, we're helping them in their future. Um, and that came out of, again, our community leaders telling us what's needed within their community. What does that structure look like organizationally? Because, you know, is it just salespeople out deciding where they're going to spend their time? Or is there, is there some like budget approval process for marketing spend or something like that? Cause like I could just see as a company grows that there would be more bureaucracy in place that would stop some of that flexibility or make it harder to create that market flexibility community by community, but you seem to not have any of those problems. So what does that structure look like? Well, we have market presidents, we call them. And so they're the main leader of that market. They live there, they breathe it, they know it. Many times they were raised there. Um, and so they may not have the authority over all the roles, but they're the, the main figurehead working with the different departments, the different lines of business within that community, and they're a conduit back to, to corporate. Uh, we have a real flat organization, so our CEO is highly involved. Um, and so a market president can literally call our, our CEO up and say, hey, can I get approval for this? This is what's going on and get a yes <laughs> without it going through a lot of red tape. Um, and so uh, that's the advantage of having a real good flat organization. So we, we let our market presidents have a lot of latitude from a budget standpoint, working with um, like marketing in, in that case, we might have marketing um, needed for, uh, a sponsorship or, um, you know, there's a, an event in the community that we want to be part of and we need marketing. Um, so the market presidents can go directly to marketing to, to, um, to work on whatever is needed for that community event. So, so they do have budget approvals. They do have um, some reportability under them to make decisions and to lead people, but otherwise they are just well connected with the different lines of business and they work together. They meet regularly, they talk about um, the plans for the community, who's working on what, um, they pass along leads to each other. So it's not siloed by a business. Um, again, it's more of a community organization. It's almost like a, a community within a community, <laughs> if you will. How do you foster that communication between those groups? Regular meetings and relationship building. Um, Is that so, something you're doing on purpose? Like, are, are you, as the HR leader, facilitating that to make sure that that's happening? Or how does that come together? Um, a little bit from an HR standpoint. But um, so from an HR standpoint, too, we do things like personality profiles. So people can understand 
each other um, because we we are all different so how do we get to work to work with each other better and stronger so um, the personality profiles help in that we have a lot of social events um, times to get to know each other and build relationships so that's more HR driven um, or marketing driven in some cases because our marketing team um, definitely uh, does a lot of events too um, but then the rest is just getting the lines of business together so the market president actually has that as a responsibility how to keep the team together and working together talking discussing sharing um, and then we do things too like um, getting everyone together at a baseball game or out to dinner for pizza and um, whether it's business or pleasure or both um, you know just getting to build relationships and strengthen each other's um, you know, knowledge of what's going on in each other's lives. And, and from a business standpoint, how can we support each other? So you'll also see goals. Um, the goals will, um, the goals vary. So they may be to um, help a line of business, like say it's to get more um, checking accounts. Um, a business banker, a lender might say, okay, I can go to all my, my, banking clients to see what business accounts we could bring over that are checking accounts and then what about all of their employees who are they banking with maybe we can offer a deal to them so that they can come to scent here so it's kind of working together to help fulfill each other's goals this might seem like a strange question but what what happens if somebody fails like what happens if somebody has a big idea and it goes wrong? What does the response look like internally? Um, you know, we shrug it off here as we've had that over the years. And, and our president has always said, you know, failure is okay. You know, I'd rather you stretch and try things and fail at them than be so conservative that, you know, you don't try anything new so um, he's open to trying things he'll tell you how he feels though like we've had some ideas where he's like I don't think this is gonna work but I will support you and I will let you try it um, I've been in some of those meetings with him and uh, you know he's he's not gonna sugarcoat it he's gonna he's gonna say okay um, this this is a great idea but I don't see how you're going to make it float. And, and sometimes he's right and sometimes he's wrong. And he loves to say he's wrong too. Like, okay, you know, somehow you did it. I don't know how you did it, but somehow you did it and, and way to go. Um, so failure, um, you know, is definitely something acceptable here. And, and he, um, he doesn't uh, shortchange that. Like he, he will let you know that he's okay with it. Thank you. I, you know, and the reason I ask about that is uh, several of the interviews that I've done on this have talked about psychological safety and the importance of psychological safety. And when you were talking about some of the things you do to foster that collaboration, I mean, quite honestly, it's things I've heard from a lot of different companies, but they don't have the real collaboration in the way that it sounds like you have. And and so that's where I was just curious. It sounds like it's a you create an environment of psychological safety where you then bring people into a community within a community, like you said, and then the magic happens from there. Yeah. The, the other thing here is um, Mike, our CEO, really considers his leadership as consultants. So we're, we advise him, we consult for him, we don't just work for him. And I think that's a really neat 
thought process. And, and I don't know if he's ever called us that. It's just kind of how I see it from my purview that um, he's always hungry for more knowledge. He's an avid reader. He loves learning um, about what an other industry experts are doing, best practices for other industries outside of banking. And so he's he's hungry for knowledge and he's looking for all of his leadership to help provide that, whether it is passing a book on or sharing an idea. And I think he also, and, and any CEO, um, also has a healthy respect for, for passionate people. And so one example from an HR standpoint is years ago, many years ago, I had read somewhere about on-site health clinics. And um, I, that really intrigued me, like, wow, okay, so you don't have to like go spend half a day in a doctor's office and get sick while you're there. Um, and so then I started learning about it from an insurance standpoint and, and how it can save on expenses, you know, how a business, instead of going through all the traditional healthcare channels, you can contain it within your own health clinic on site and prescriptions, um, you know, don't go through a third party, you can get those discounted lab work, you know, all those big ex dollar expenses for a health plan can be managed through an on-site health clinic and your employees don't have to go anywhere. They just walk over a few feet, they can see a doctor or nurse, and then they can go back to work. Um, so that whole concept really intrigued me. And I went to our president, um, you know, maybe a year after that and said, I think this would be perfect for us. And it took seven years of no's <laughs> before I finally got a yes. Seven um, years. Seven years. But I knew, like, I just knew in every fabric of my being that this was something we were meant to have. Like, it was a win-win. It was a, a win financially for the bank. It was a win for our employees. Um, and I just never gave up on it. And so I think sometimes we do give up on things, um, even things that we're passionate about. And um, I don't think we should. I, you know, sometimes you have to repackage and reshape it. Um, you know, maybe you didn't present it the way you should have, um, or spoken the same language, you know, like I'm not a numbers person. I work at a bank and I'm not a numbers person. And so I had to, you know, prepare the numbers to make sense, to speak the same language as our CEO. And then finally I did it right, or the timing was right. Um, and it's been a really big success here. It's been a differentiator from a, an employment standpoint and helped uh, be a, a cost containment, um, you know, um, idea that we've been able to implement. So it has been a win-win. So just going back to what I was meaning is, you know, not giving up on those passions, those those beliefs that you have. And um, as a leader, I think we, we all need to be looking at those opportunities in business and how can we help um, strengthen the business through our ideas and not giving up on them. Was there anything you learned through that seven-year journey about how to tell a story and build a business case? 
oh yes <laughs> every year i would see what worked you know where i could see you know because you know you get to know people and so i could see where the wheels were turning and where there was a blank stare <laughs> yeah and so some of that body language or the questions that were being asked that i wasn't prepared to answer um yeah you you absolutely learn every time well kudos to you for staying at it and and it's interesting you know, I think a lot of leaders would hear something maybe three years in a row, give their no, and then you come back for a fourth try. It's like, you know, not only no, but you know, now your job's in jeopardy. No, like go pay attention to something else. And so it's interesting that you were able to keep bringing that back to him and that it eventually got implemented. Yeah. And some people might've said, Oh, you, you did it wrong. You should have gotten it done the first year. So I don't know. You could look at it either way. I'm just glad it happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you learned a lot and you know, I, I bet if it took a little while, it probably, it probably wasn't the right time in the beginning and it, something needed to happen within the leadership team for that to happen. So, you know, all at the right time. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the CEO being the fourth generation, seems like a very dominant personality in a, in a positive way, um, you know, really a, a force of leadership there. What has your experience been like working with family ownership? Because sometimes that can be fantastic and they're super engaged. And sometimes, you know, there can be conversations over the dinner table on a Sunday night where decisions are made that maybe aren't HR approved come Monday morning, you know, what's your experience been like with family ownership? Yeah, it's been positive um, for me because the family's engaged. I think if you worked for a family that didn't really care about the business, maybe they just wanted the, the paycheck, you know, they wanted the, the business to be successful, but didn't really care about it, it would be a different experience. Um, and that's not here. Um, the, the fifth generation is in the bank and they are as passionate about the bank um, as uh, our current CEO. So that's what keeps it fun knowing that, um, you know, we have the, the blood, sweat and tears. They're hard workers. They care deeply. Um, they're not here just for a handout. They're, they're working right with all of us. But I think um, as being a, a leader within the bank, I think I owe it to them to be brutally honest. Um, you know, what I hear from our employees, we call our employees associates. So if you hear me say that, that's what I mean. So hearing from our associates, you know, staying connected with whether it's concerns, you know, about the future, you know, like once our CEO retires, what's going to happen, you know, so hearing things that I can pass on to them and saying, hey, this is a hot topic out there. Here's what our associates are, are asking about. We need to address it. Um, or just, um, you know, if, if there's any missteps, like, gosh, you know, you were at an event and said this, and it really rubs someone the wrong way, like being able to be honest and um, help them with what's being said out there. Um, help prepare them as the succession. So the fifth generation coming in, what are some things that people really respect about our current CEO that it's going to be important for them to carry on when he does step aside and they step into, you know, top leadership roles. Um, so 
never sugarcoating, like being real and honest, not worrying about your jobs. I think a lot of people think, well, I'm not going to say that because <laughs> I'm going to be fired if I say that. Like you can't, you can't be worried about that. If it happens, it happens. You know, I know it would probably be devastating, but to hold back just for the security of your own job, I don't think it's the, the right thing to do. You know, you're being counted on to, to help them. And, you know, they have to accept what you're saying, whether it's, it's good or bad. Um, and it's been my experience that it's here, it's been uh, appreciated and valued that I've been able to speak up and share. And then they come back for more. <laughs> Once they know you're a, a trusted advisor, then they want to seek out more time with you and um, ask you more questions and learn more from you. What does that feedback look like? Is, are you hitting them with it right in the moment? Is it really blunt? Are you softening it in some way? Like, how are you delivering feedback or how do you think about delivering feedback? I deliver it the way I'd want to receive it. So, you know, never mean spirited or, um, you know, where it's going to just really be hurtful, more of, how, how would I want to hear this if they were coming to me? But I wouldn't want it sugarcoated either. You know, you have to be honest and a little raw, um, but you also have to be positive that, you know, this happened and, you know, we're going to move past it. It's no big deal. And here's my advice. And, you know, if you need anything else, I'm here. Do you do anything to make them feel okay and, and move forward through it? Or do you, do you let them sit in that uncomfortable feeling for a period of time? Oh, that's a good question. Let me think. Um, I'm I'm definitely more of a feel good person, you know. I so I think probably ninety nine point nine percent of the time I have been the one to to smooth things over. I, I mentioned being that peacekeeper <laughs> that I see that as my role, um, but I'm sure there's moments. I just can't recall off the top of my head of a specific situation, but I think there's probably been moments where I've, I've had to share something that's really hard and um, I might give it a few seconds for it, for it to sink in and then kind of say, all right, Hey, we all have these moments and we're going to get through it. Yeah. I, it seems like there are two big problems that hinder people from feedback. One is fear of death, right? The fear that you're going to get fired uh, that your whole life is going to crumble if you step out and say something, put your neck out there. And I think the other is making people feel bad. And I, I remember reading a book, uh, I think it was called The Failure of Nerve, where it talked about your ability to be a leader, to lead others, directly correlates to how willing you are for them to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That you know, It's really good. Nobody gets better unless they are able to face the uncomfortable truths. And if you can't deliver those uncomfortable truths and just let them sit in that, then they're not going to get any better and you're not going to be an effective leader. Yeah. I think, you know, you have to be on the right side of it. And if you work for somebody that fires you because you were honest with them and you were honest with them trying to help them, right? You're not trying to do it to be malicious, but you're trying to make things better, whether it's them or a decision they made or whatever the circumstances are. If, you, if your intentions are right and you're trying to be helpful and they don't appreciate or value it and you get fired, then, you know, it's probably best you don't work for that person anymore. 
um, but at least you can live with yourself. You know, you you didn't like sell your soul uh, because you were too afraid. And yeah. you know, and, and granted, I don't want to judge people that are in that position. They have bills to pay. They have mouths to feed. Um, but I, I think you can still do it in a manner that hopefully it doesn't lead to you being fired. You know, that's yeah. the extreme. Like you said, that's like the worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Um, and you can definitely bring it forward in a respectful manner. Yeah. We, we work with a leadership coach uh, at Lockton and one, two of the lessons that he talks about when delivering feedback are first, you have to believe in the person. So if you don't think that they can get better, just don't even bother giving them the feedback. Just get rid of them from the organization because you don't have the belief in them. So you need to believe that the person can get better. And then you have to focus it on progress, not on the person's character, you know, not because you're angry about it. You know, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with moving the ball forward. And if you can do it from belief and do it focused on performance, then you can deliver feedback. And even if it's really hard feedback, it comes off in a way that's productive, mm-hmm. which that's, I, I try to think about that. Yeah, that's really great. Yeah, I agree. So pivoting a little bit, I want to go back to talking about entrepreneurship and innovation and some of those things. Because like you said, you know, you have a, uh, an onsite clinic, you've really expanded your uh, footprint. And I know that I know you're looking to continue to expand that footprint. How do you think about progress and, and innovation, you know, as a community bank, community banks don't have a reputation for innovation. How do you think about that and sort of balance that down home community feel with being a really progressive, innovative organization? Well, I think you can't ever rest on your laurels. Um, and, and I've seen here at Centier, we've hired very progressive, entrepreneurial-minded people. Our, our CIO is an example. And, you know, the things he's brought in his tenure here, and he hasn't been here long, um, are very innovative. And they have brought our tech up to be as good, if not better, than a lot of other big, big, you know, uh, multi-state banks out there. Um, from an HR standpoint, you know, again, I, I wasn't an, I wasn't born as an HR person from an education standpoint, so I wasn't taught. <laughs> I just, um, you know, experienced um, being an employee in places and and having good managers and bad managers that didn't know what they were doing and what that felt like, what that experience was like, what was missing, and so I've kind of looked at that from a another lens. Um, also, banking, like I don't even balance a checkbook. I'm not good with numbers. I don't like math, and here I'm a senior partner. Um, you know, at the table working with the CEO of a a $5 billion bank. Like, how does that happen? Um, And it's because maybe I don't stop and think about it, because maybe if I did stop and think about it, I'd be like, gosh, why am I here? What am I doing here? 
I just keep going. And so um, there's a lesson there for sure. <laughs> I have just always had a thirst for knowledge. And um, I've been an avid reader too, just like our CEO is. And one thing that he has challenged us to do that I've learned in my career is to look at other industries, look at best practices. And so when you read about, you know, Starbucks and Southwest Airlines and Nordstrom and, you know, all, all these great different um, companies out there and you think, oh, I wonder how that would work here. Like, oh, I really like that. Is there something I can take and bring into our world? And so, and then it may look completely different and it might look innovative, but the, the seed came from another industry or a book you read. Um, one thing that we did years ago, and this is really fun, is um, we had field trips. Remember in, in school, like all year you would look forward to that field trip to the apple orchard or the zoo or wherever you were going. For sure. And so we had field trips and we had this team of different positions in the bank. They weren't all management that um, went out and experienced other companies that were the best in their business. So we let someone stay at the Ritz-Carlton. We let someone go shop at Nordstrom and get something tailored from there. Um, we sent someone to Southwest's um, leadership um, program. They had an actual oh, program. Um, Baptist Healthcare, um, Chick-fil-A, you know, all these different companies that are known uh, you know, that are like iconic brands, um, the best in their business or the best in any business. And we had our, our little agenda of what our mission was. And then we came back after that experience and talked about what we learned and what we could bring into scent here. Um, or even if we didn't know, we just really liked this aspect of what this company is doing, then there was a lot of discussion and thoughts around, well, could we make something like that work here? And so that really brought innovative thoughts too. Um, and it's a really easy way for a company that wants more innovation um, or wants some fresh ideas that anybody can do, like just go assign some field trips. When do you have those conversations? Is there a regular innovation brainstorming session that you have as a leadership group or when do those conversations get brought up? Yeah, um, we have a strategic planning session in, in our senior management where we talk about ideas like that, but it's every not, year. Is that an annual thing or? Uh -huh, yes, but it's not just that. Um, so, you know, again, it might just be something that our CEO, CIO reads that he might say, Hey, I think this would work here. So um, like our CIO, went to a conference, I think it was in England, and it was about prize-linked savings accounts. Um, and he's like, I don't think anything's being done here in the U.S. with prize-linked savings accounts. So, you know, he had the green light to do some research. Long story short, we have a savings product called Billonero now, and it's, it's basically a savings account that's fun. And it has, you know, monthly and quarterly drawings, um, you know, like with good money, like $1,000, $10,000 a quarter, um, you know, and it's just kind of a way to make savings fun. And it, it you know, it's a 
attractive to maybe students that don't have a lot of money to put in the savings. You know, you just 25 bucks and you can open the account, no fees. So, you know, it was a really great idea. Let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Um, so that came completely out of a strategic planning meeting or separate, I should say, than a strategic planning. It's just something he, he learned about and um, he, he doesn't have a banking background either and was like, hey, maybe we can do this here. So I don't think you need to just have it one time a year. I think you need to foster an environment that can bring ideas forward anytime um, and encourage people to think outside of the box and to bring things forward. So I mentioned our, our leadership reading program. You know, our president wants people to um, to be readers, you know, whether it's in paper form or through a tablet and um, or articles, you know, business articles, Wall Street Journal, other um, reputable sources out there. And when you when something strikes you and you think this would be really be great for Sentier, bring it forward. And, you know, he's encouraged it. You know, he said, email me, um, even in our, our orientation program. So this is something he does, too. He spends two hours with every new group of associates, just building a relationship with them and sharing um, some about the bank's history and where are the bank's going and, and him personally and, and some of his, his story. But he'll say, in the next couple of weeks, as you're starting your career here, let me know what you're seeing. What are we doing well? What are we not? What um, maybe you experienced at another company that you think we should be offering here? Um, so what can we, how can we be better? And, and email me or call me in the next oh, that, get, weeks. Getting that fresh perspective from somebody with some fresh eyes. Right, and it yeah. also sets the stage, right, for the rest of the career, like this is what he wants, and hey, I can just pick up the phone and call Mike, um, and so it's setting the stage early on that you can have a direct line to the CEO, and he wants fresh ideas. Much better to walk somebody back from reaching out too much than to get somebody who feels like they have no voice to start speaking up. Right. Yeah. Um, Kind of a unique question here, another strange one, but how do you think about effort in the workplace? Are, are you a culture of you got to take this home with you and everybody's just living and breathing this stuff? Or is it, you know, nine to five or nine to four thirty? Or you know, how do you think about that? I would just be curious, like what what's the culture around the effort that you expect and and what you're looking for out of your people? Well, first of all, we all work hard. We don't have any glorified positions. Managers, um, you know, they're they're hard workers here. They don't sit in an office and just manage people, you know. So, and there's probably some negative to that, right? Because they're so busy that sometimes they don't have time to manage people. So I'm not saying that's the right way, but we're really are a hardworking organization here. Um, we also have this a family culture, right? We we are a family-owned business. We treat each other like family all over. Um, you're, you feel like you're part of the Shrog family when you come to work here. That's how they make you feel. And we treat each other like family. You know, we spend so many hours with each other and these relationships get formed just like we were talking about you having at Lockton that, you know, your coworkers become some of your best friends and family, um, maybe even closer than than blood relatives. So 
we have work-life balance. If you have a soccer game you want to go to, or there's a um, parent-teacher conference, um, or you have an elderly, elderly parent that needs to go to a doctor's appointment, you know, you can go. You can work with your manager and leave during the day and do that. Um, but we also want to make sure the work gets done. And we have a lot of high expectations on answering calls and emails, you know, within, you know, 48 hours at the most, um, getting back to people, having extra service standards. And so that requires extra effort. And so we have people working in the evenings and on weekends, um, but we don't police it to the point where we're saying, you know, well, did you put in 40 hours? Did you, um, you know, uh, like remote working now, right? We're not saying we want proof that you've worked from eight to five. You know, they might not be able to work eight to five. They might have a child at home or something that needs to get done. And it might be, you know, now 10 o'clock that they pick up, their kids are asleep and now they're working 10 to midnight or they're spreading it over seven days instead of a five day work week. So we need to be understanding enough that the work week and work day doesn't have to be typical anymore. And so again, if someone needs to leave and come back to what they were doing, that's great. We just don't want to hear um, a negative impact from a service standpoint. So that's when we start to address things is if someone's not getting back to someone or projects aren't completed by deadlines or something is dropped, that's when we step in to say, let's talk about what happened here. And, and the reason I was asking that question is, it seems like with all the innovation and ideas being brought forward, it's so easy to not get around to that stuff because you're working so hard, you've filled up to 100% and you can't fit anything else in. And so I was curious just how you think about workforce. And it sounds like everybody's working hard, but there is balance there. So there might be some extra time for people to be able to do some of these things on the nights and weekends and and create that innovation. Yeah, and also we pay um, eight hours of volunteer time a year too. So we want there to be time for all of our associates to get out and volunteer and they can break that down to hours or you know half a day here and a half a day there. And it could be at their church, it could be a community organization, we don't care. Um, but we want to kind of set the stage that we want you to get away from work and um, you know, spend time supporting your community. We also don't let rollover PTO happen. We are actually this year because of the pandemic, but normally we don't because we want you to have a breakaway from work and spend time with your family and not save your PTO time for some event later. How do you think, you, you mentioned a little bit about giving some feedback there. How do you think about performers who just aren't cutting it? You know, and what happens when somebody is underperforming and how do you address it and how do you ultimately decide that they're not going to be a fit for you? In such a tight family environment like that, it can be really easy, I would imagine, to say, well, no, but they're part of the family. We can't let them go. And that can create a big strain on the organization when, you know, sometimes there are just people who aren't a fit. So how, how do you think about those elements? Yeah, it's really hard. Uh, we definitely have had that happen. We've had it happen where we've let things gone on too long. Um, 
not that we've looked the other way. We've just um, maybe reshaped someone's job and reshaped it and reshaped it to give them what they can do instead of expecting them to do the job fully. Um, and sometimes it's worked out and sometimes it hasn't. Um, we have uh, people here, you know, 25 plus years easily, you know, we have this quarter century club and it's full <laughs> of people that have been here over 25 years. And so we have a lot of respect to that. Loyalty is one of our, our values. We're loyal to our clients. We're loyal to each other. We're loyal to the bank. And so um, when you have those, those situations pop up, they can be really hard. So again, how would you want to be treated if you were in that position? Well, you know, you'd want someone to be honest with you. You'd want support given. How can we help this person be successful? Um, and if it's just to the point where they can't be for whatever reason, the job has changed, um, you know, whatever the, the situation is, how can we help them move on to something else? And it might be a different job in the bank where they can be successful or it just meets the needs that that they have today or the strengths that they're able to give. Um, it could be a different role. Sometimes we help people find jobs outside of the bank. Um, and we feel that's part of, of showing compassion that we're, we, you've been part of our family for all these years. We're not going to just kick you out now. Let us help you get to that next place. And so our HR department has worked with individuals to build resumes, to show them how to go on to Indeed to find a job or, you know, where we've referred them to, um, businesses or partners that we know um, they can have a position at and be successful. You're um, like your own outplacement firm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We've done that with not just, you know, situations like that, but um, even when people haven't been with us long, like how can we help you get to the right spot? Like we thought enough of you to become part of our family that we need to take care of you for these next steps. Um, and I, I think a lot of people have referred other family or friends to us because of how they were treated when they were terminated from us. They were treated very compassionately, even though they might have done something horrible, um, like embezzlement. Um, but how we help them on their next steps and the compassion we show, like, yeah, you made a big mistake and you paid the price for it, um, but we still care about you and, and want you to be okay. Um, and, you know, want you to have a, a positive you know, transition in your life. That, yeah, that's interesting. I just, I can't imagine how much of a background check goes into the re the referral from somebody who was caught embezzling money. <laughs> I imagine you go a little, a few levels deeper on that one. Yeah. Fortunately, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. For, very, very fortunately. <laughs> um, well, I know we're kind of at the end of time here. I have one question that I usually wrap up with. Um, okay. And I think you've been talking around it, but I would just love to get your answer to the question, which is, in your mind, what is the purpose of business? Mm. There's all those traditional things to make money and to, you know, the shareholders and all of that. I think it's to serve. Um, that's Chrisanne's answer. I think it's to serve. Um, and so how do you serve depends on, you know, what your business is and what's needed in the environment you're in, whether it's a community or um, if it's a volunteer organization and you're there to, to serve. Um, others um, based on the needs that they have. But I think when you go into serving others, um, so you're, you're leading with your heart, you're putting others ahead of yourself, you're learning of what their needs are, and you're providing value to their needs, 
the money's going to happen. You know, the success is going to happen because it's going to be word of mouth. It's going to be where more people gravitate toward you because you're not there selfishly. You're there for them. Um, and I think too often in business, we don't think that way. Um, we kind of put our, our needs first, um, the, the success of the business rather than what um, the needs are of your customers. Um, and it's really easy to forget about that. And so I think if you can be in a business to serve um, and you do it wholeheartedly, the success is going to come. I think that's a wonderful answer. Thank you. Uh, well, Chris Ann, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, your attitude is inspiring, uh, as is just the way that you and the organization think about progress and innovation and just really are turned on to the world and, and trying to move the ball forward. And I love that. And I love talking to people who are like that. So thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you sharing. And uh, I look forward to sharing this with other people. All right. Thank you for having me. And I'm open to anyone reaching out if they want to learn more. Um, you know, it, I think it's important when you're at an age where you you have the so-called wisdom that you've you know grown uh, over the course of your time that you can give back to others so if anyone ever wants to talk or learn more about what we're doing here i'm happy to share well i appreciate that you uh you have a wonderful day and, and thank you very much okay thank you o'brien take care Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it. <laughs>